Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by Hillsdale College. For over 175 years, four purposes have defined Hillsdale's mission, learning, character, faith, and freedom. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to our brothers and sisters at Hillsdale for their great sponsorship. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Number 877-381-3811. I understand that no matter what I say will be misconstrued and misconstrued intentionally. Misconstrued intentionally by the hard left and by the isolationist right. I'm not of the left and I'm not of the right. I'm a constitutional conservative. I've never believed in this this stuff where conservatives are of the right. You and I, we're not fascists. We're not totalitarians. We believe in liberty. And I began my political activism with Ronald Reagan in 1976 really pre-Reagan, but that's where I really bit into the politics and philosophy and so forth. In the 1920s, give or take, the Republican Party had a conservative element. may have been actually the majority of the party, which was isolationist. So was part of the Democrat Party. So as Germany and Italy and Japan were building up their war machines, the United States was not prepared to engage. Not that we wanted to engage, but we weren't prepared. And this has happened on more than one occasion. Same thing happened in the 1950s, in many respects. You had a wing of the conservative movement that was isolationist. 
And uh, people point to Dwight Eisenhower talking about the military-industrial complex. In other words, he didn't believe we should build up for wartime like we did in World War II in the 1950s, but he did believe we better have the strongest military on the face of the earth. We have this same fusion, really, of the hard left and some of this isolationist right that you and I are dealing with. They've tried to project their, their beliefs onto Donald Trump, but Donald Trump was never an isolationist. Never. He built up the United States military beyond anything the Democrats had done before him. Beyond anything that had been done since Ronald Reagan, quite frankly. And when he needed to draw a line, he drew a line. Even with Syria. Even with Afghanistan. But he drew lines with Russia and China, and he meant it. And they either respected him or feared him. And that's the nature of foreign policy when you're dealing with such vile enemies. We also have an element within the conservative movement and on Capitol Hill that is what I call these Russiaphobes. They really don't have any problem with Putin. They don't think Russia is a threat. They embrace sort of these extremists who tell them what they want to hear. And so, just like the Bernie Sanders and others in the Democrat Party, in an odd way, they become the blame America first mouthpieces within the conservative movement and the Republican Party. They're all out there, you hear them. Now, on top of that, we do have a president who is incapable of being a commander-in-chief, as he is incapable of doing most things required of a competent president. Not even a great president, just a competent president. What he did with the oil pipeline in Russia, what he did in Afghanistan, what he's doing now with Iran, and we can go down the list beyond that, the way he treats our allies with contempt, has clearly been analyzed and digested by our enemies. Our allies, too, but I'm talking now about China and Russia, among others. And has resulted in provocation. His weakness, his incompetence, his mental deterioration, his poor judgment even before that, our enemies see an opportunity. And I told you in this election they were going to root for Joe Biden that the Russia collusion argument never made any sense when Trump was taking on Hillary since Hillary had already sold out to the Russians. It's important in my view, you my audience, that you have your eyes wide open about what's taking place. Wide open. Putin rejects the victory the United States had in the Cold War. He rejects it. Putin came to power by killing people, threatening people, and by cutting deals with people. He was a second-tier KGB agent. Not even a first-tier. But he was very bold. And he effectively led a coup. 
because he promised not to prosecute those who did lead the second Russian revolution out from communism and into the United States camp. Putin is working with the communist Chinese, Xi, very, very closely. Strategically and militarily. And I want to get into what I think is going on in a minute. I've been talking behind this microphone about our failure to build up our military under this president. That they have flatlined the, the budget for the military for all intents and purposes. And this critical race theory and what else they're doing is undermining the readiness of the United States military and military personnel. There's a report out that we have a huge problem now attracting pilots into our Air Force. We're not meeting our numbers in the Army and the Marines. Because nobody wants to volunteer to put aside other opportunities if their country doesn't respect them. If their country doesn't respect them. The communist Chinese, the Russians, the North Koreans, the Iranians, they see what's going on at the White House. They also see what's going on at Congress. Where the entire Democrat focus is trying to destroy a former president. A former president. A former president that they respected and feared. That's the entire Democrat Party focus. And the fundamental transformation of America from a free country to an unfree country. This threat from Russia against Ukraine is real. I told you in 1994, Ukraine agreed... Ukraine agreed to give up its nuclear weapons that had been in place in, uh, in Ukraine because it was part of the Soviet Union earlier. In exchange for Britain, the United States, and Russia, not only acknowledging, but providing actual security, including military security, to Ukraine's sovereignty. This was a memorandum that was signed by all four countries. You've not heard about it anywhere but here. Anywhere. And just like communist China violating its agreement with Britain and Hong Kong, Putin is doing the same thing with Ukraine. The same exact thing. Russia is poised to attack Ukraine. 125,000 battle-ready troops. They tried to internally overthrow the Ukrainian government. They already have their militia in the eastern part of Ukraine battling, and their guerrillas battling the Ukrainian uh, government. The Ukrainian president has been an ally of the United States. He's been really a reformer. And people say, why is this any of our business? I don't know. Was Austria any of our business? No. Was the so-called Czech Republic any of our business? Czechoslovenia? 
No. How about Poland? When that was invaded, was that any of our business? No. How about when Britain went to war with, with Germany? Was that any of our business? No. The isolations in America said, that's their problem. That's Europe. It doesn't affect us. Do you think that Vladimir Putin now has built hypersonic missiles? Has a military presence in Antarctica? Has brand spanking new nuclear submarines? And has modernized his nuclear arsenal because of Ukraine? Because of Ukraine? No, it's because of us. Do you think communist China has done the same thing? Plus now has outposts in Western Africa, parts of the Middle East, in our own hemisphere on both ends of the Panama Canal because of Taiwan? Do you think they have advanced killer satellites that are capable of knocking out our GPS system and blinding our military because of Taiwan? And have these phony islands built in the South China Sea which would choke off maritime navigation between the United States and much of Southeast Asia? Because of Taiwan? You know, if I were a good little talk show host, I wouldn't talk this way. I'd get in line with all the others. I'd be a good little isolationist. Because I risk being called a neocon. Particularly because I'm Jewish. I'm no neocon. I am no neocon. I am no trigger-happy chicken hawk, as they say. No, I am not. I'm an old Reaganite. Who knows history? And what follows from isolationism? Just think as a matter of Reality, if you have these countries and these regimes that are on the hunt, that are on the move, what makes you think they won't threaten us one day? Is that what history tells us? Of course not. Of course not. Why are the Iranians building intercontinental ballistic missiles? Tel Aviv isn't 7,000 miles away from Tehran. We are. We are. Do you think our federal contractors, our military contractors, are a bunch of unpatriotic ex-generals and so forth that, that they want war so they can make more money? What's the evidence for this? There's no evidence for this. None. That I'm aware of. 
Do you think Joe Biden, who I detest, wants war? No, he's going to bungle and has bungled. The result could be war. But I don't think he wants war. In fact, he's been a protectionist most of his career. He, he didn't even want to take out Osama bin Laden. He was so worried. I'll continue when I return. Mark Lovin. My friends, I know you love freedom and want to defend it. And I know you love the Constitution. Well, so do I. And it's the same with Hillsdale College, the best liberal arts college in America. Hillsdale's mission is pursuing truth and defending liberty. It gives its undergraduate and graduate students the best education, and it is working to make this education available to all. But today, I want to tell you about Hillsdale's free monthly speech digest of liberty. It's called Imprimus. Over 6 million households and businesses receive Imprimus for free every month. And you can join them by subscribing at levinforhillsdale.com. There are no strings attached. Generous donors who love free to make it possible for Hillsdale to send in Primus to you for free. And Primus is one of my favorite publications. It's short, smart, useful, and fun. Start receiving your own free copy of this great digest of liberty. Visit levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. levinforhillsdale.com. And yet, what seems to be transpiring, transpiring are things that I have feared and that we've talked about now for some time. The Iranians are now firing missiles into the UAE, which is the United States ally. It's a tiny monarchy. It's actually one of the freest countries in the Middle East and has built a remarkable relationship with the state of Israel as well as its Gulf neighbors. Uh, We had to intervene there yesterday to help protect that country uh, from some of the missiles. Uh, But some of them have landed. They've also unleashed the Hutus, who you've probably never heard of before, which are another militia operation, a bunch of guerrillas that had the backing of the Iranians, that have created incredible human suffering in Yemen. Yemen, which is on the border with Saudi Arabia. Jordan... These other monarchies, Israel, Egypt, Morocco, and others are well aware of what's taking place now in the Middle East. China. More flights over Taiwan in the last 48 hours than before a massive incursion. My friends, I know you love freedom and want to defend it. And I know you love the Constitution. Well, so do I. And it's the same with Hillsdale College, the best liberal arts college in America. Hillsdale's mission is pursuing truth and defending liberty. It gives its undergraduate and graduate students the best education, and it is working to make this education available to all. But today, I want to tell you about Hillsdale's free monthly speech digest of liberty. It's called Imprimus. Over 6 million households and businesses receive Imprimus for free every month. And you can join them by subscribing at levinforhillsdale.com. There are no strings attached. Generous donors who love free to make it possible for Hillsdale to send in Primus to you for free. And Primus is one of my favorite publications. It's short, smart, useful, and fun. 
Start receiving your own free copy of this great Digest of Liberty. Visit LevinforHillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. LevinforHillsdale.com. The Mark Levin Show, where we create the talking points. Call in now, 877-381-3811. We're in a very precarious situation, ladies and gentlemen. We have really a phony commander-in-chief. I don't know who is in charge of this country, the executive branch, but it's quite obvious Joe Biden is easily manipulated. We have a secretary of state, a pseudo-elite Ivy League intellectual, I said pseudo, uh, who is a disaster. A Secretary of Defense who's demonstrated that he's a disaster, as well as the top generals. We have a military that's underfunded and demoralized. It's a very bad situation. A very bad situation. And um, we have uh, a situation where our foreign policy is provocative because it's been appeasement-oriented. The pipeline back to Russia, the way Biden did that while he was also killing our own domestic pipelines, is really outrageous. Absolutely outrageous. The way he and his fellow Democrats talk about Trump and the Republican Party, you would have thought that they were Xi or Putin or some of these, but no. They see what's going on internally in the United States. They see we're getting weaker and weaker economically and otherwise as a result of Biden's policies. We discussed this at great length, that our enemies are rooting for the re-election, excuse me, for the election of Joe Biden. Of course, there's a lot of blame to go around. His family, him, the Democrat Party, and of course, our pathetic, corrupt media, which remains pathetic and corrupt. Now, these isolationists, whatever political party they're in, whatever positions they hold, in the end, they result in causing more American deaths than they save. Because as these enemies rise up and they get stronger, and they get more aggressive, we get not just weaker, we're stuck. We're stuck. What do we do? And of course, they paint things as utterly black and white, as most propagandists do. It's either full-scale war or full-scale appeasement. Really. This is why I've, I've never been thrilled with the McCain, Lindsey Graham, and at times Rubio mindset that we should be intervening so often. On the other hand, I've always rejected the Buchanan view, which is very much the George McGovern view, which takes the completely opposite position. Reaganism was the answer. And if you really look at what Trump did on foreign policy, much of it was similar to what Reagan did. Much of it was similar to what Reagan did. The United States intervenes to repel air attack on the United Arab Emirates, New York Times. The U.S. Air Force said 
It intervened on Monday to repel an attack on the UAE amid an escalation of tensions between the Gulf nation and the ran-back Houthi rebels in Yemen. They used the Houthi rebels the way they use Hezbollah. The Emirati Ministry of Defense said its air defense forces had intercepted and destroyed two missiles fired by the Houthi rebels. Not immediately clear whether the U.S. and Emirati defenses were responding to the same missile strike. Iran is on the move. Iran is going to have ICBMs with nuclear missiles, excuse me, with nuclear warheads. Israel had a coup of its own in many respects with respect to Netanyahu. Phony, phony charges raised. Phony clouds created over the man. The one hand, he's constantly looking over his shoulder. On the other hand, as prime minister, he was duking it out with the Iranians and others. And now they have a guy by the name of Bennett, who's an incompetent, weak opportunist. Sounds like the president that we have to deal with now, doesn't it? Taiwan reports new large-scale Chinese Air Force incursion, U.S. News, via Reuters. Taiwan Sunday reported the largest incursion since October by the Chinese in its air defense zone, with the island's defense ministry saying Taiwanese fighters scrambled to warn the Chinese aircraft. Taiwan calls China's repeated nearby military activities gray zone warfare. Designed to monitor Taiwan's forces by making them repeatedly scramble and also test Taiwan's responses, in other words, getting ready for a fight. The latest Chinese mission included 34 fighters plus four electronic warfare aircraft. In other words, they knock out the radar and other systems that the Taiwanese have. Taiwan sent combat aircraft to warn away the Chinese aircraft. No media comment from the Chinese, the U.S. Pacific Fleet said on Sunday, those exercises included two carrier groups, which are conducting training to preserve and protect a free and open Indo-Pacific. Right now, if you're at the Pentagon, our military forces are having to try and gameplay a two-front war with Russia and China. You believe this? You believe this? I'm very serious about this. Certainly not rooting for it, but this is what you get when you when you have the wrong man in the White House. This is what you get. Then on top of this, you get the propagandists that basically blame us. You can blame the administration, but you don't blame the nation and the American people. That's preposterous. So, about 8,500 personnel, United States forces have been placed on heightened preparedness to deploy if needed. Not to deploy to Ukraine, necessarily, not to deploy to fight, necessarily, but to be positioned in some of our NATO countries. I mean, NATO's there for a reason. And perhaps the concern is that this could bleed into one of our allied countries. Should we get out of NATO, too? 
were the ones who set up NATO. We set up NATO so we wouldn't have to go back to Europe and fight another world war. Should we get out of NATO? Get out of our agreements with Taiwan and Ukraine? Surrender the Monroe Doctrine, which apparently John Kerry already did. What else should we do? Battlefield America? Oh, that would be lovely. These are very troubling times, very grave. You'd be a fool, you'd be a nut to be trigger happy. And I don't think we are. I really don't. I think you have to have some modicum of intelligence to break down the different pieces of this rather than black and white. And we have exactly the wrong people in these positions right now. Exactly the wrong people. I mean, it is frustrating as hell to watch this. We knew, we knew the possibility of this. We knew the possibility of this. Uh, after January 20th, we knew the possibility of this. I'm talking about 2021. 20, uh, after Afghanistan... So we have big problems. And the kind of reporting that's being done is not very useful. It's not very helpful. And I want to tell you, much of the reporting that was done in World War II was no better. No better. And as long as the media continue to be uh, pom-pom boys and girls for this president... Oh, I'm going to play you a few stories where they're somewhat critical of Biden, but not day in and day out. Not seriously. Not substantively. They still are focused on January 6th. Trump, this idiot Phil Bump, writes another stupid piece in the Washington Compost. They can't help themselves. This is who they are. Rather than Congress immediately meeting under the Democrats, I mean, I got to be honest with you, under, uh, <coughs> excuse me, Democrats in the past, they would be increasing defense spending immediately. It takes time to, to move from passing a budget and pushing it through the production stream or the support stream. But the morale is low as a result of critical race theory and transitioning and investigating troops based on Facebook and, on and, and, and mandates on vaccines, just as the morale generally in America, is down as a result of what the Democrats have done. I'm just talking turkey with you. I'm just telling you what I see. And that you need to be very clear-eyed about what's taking place here. Very clear-eyed. We have exactly the wrong Speaker of the House. She's a buffoon and she's evil. Exactly the wrong Senate Majority Leader, he's a buffoon and evil. Exactly the wrong man in the White House. He's a buffoon and evil. They don't even like the military any more than they like law enforcement. You can see what they've done to our inner cities and beyond. And beyond in terms of the casualties that Americans have been suffering here. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin'.
My friends, I know you love freedom and want to defend it. And I know you love the Constitution. Well, so do I. And it's the same with Hillsdale College, the best liberal arts college in America. Hillsdale's mission is pursuing truth and defending liberty. It gives its undergraduate and graduate students the best education, and it is working to make this education available to all. But today, I want to tell you about Hillsdale's free monthly speech digest of liberty. It's called Imprimus. Over 6 million households and businesses receive Imprimus for free every month. And you can join them by subscribing at levinforhillsdale.com. There are no strings attached. Generous donors who love free to make it possible for Hillsdale to send in Primus to you for free. And Primus is one of my favorite publications. It's short, smart, useful, and fun. Start receiving your own free copy of this great digest of liberty. Visit levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. levinforhillsdale.com. probably shouldn't tell you this. There's a lot of things I probably shouldn't tell you, but I tell you anyway. I said to my wife and mother-in-law about a week ago, with all this wokeism being pushed throughout the culture, with American Marxism spreading as fast as a wildfire, with such a corrupt anti-American media, with the Democrat Party hollowing out this country, including our military, opening our borders and law enforcement, where we talk more about what people should be given and their rights in terms of economic rights and trash the history of our own country. I said, I don't even know if we could win a war like World War II today. I don't know. It worries me a lot. It worries me a lot. Particularly if our enemies misjudge. I want you to think about one thing for a second here. If you're Xi and you're a genocidal, power-hungry maniac, and you're Putin, no different, and you're on in North Korea... And you're the Islamo-Nazi who leads the, the Iranians. But let's just focus on China and Russia right now. When is the optimum time to act? If that is your intention. Is to wait for the next election? When is the optimum time to act? Put aside your Americanism and your patriotism. Just when would be the optimum time to act? You saw the debacle in Afghanistan. You see the deal you cut with Russia, not only on surrendering the pipeline, actually there was no deal, they just surrendered it. But on on our missile systems. Russia now is free to build any kind of missiles at once, pretty much. How come we didn't have all these problems, all these issues during Trump's presidency? How come that question is never asked? Who runs the Trump presidency? How come that question was never asked and never had to be asked? The competency of the Trump administration. Well, some outliers on the left would raise it, but not, not anybody who's serious. 
and relatively objective. Problem was, Trump knew exactly what he wanted to do and fought to implement it. These are real problems, real differences. I regret that last night there was a fantastic football game on, right to the very end. I regret it because many of you may have missed my interview with Peter Schweitzer and his book, Red-Handed. There is a subterranean, in many respects, government in this country. Subterranean. Out of our eyesight, out of our earshot. Members of Congress, former members of Congress. People in academia. Corporatists. Famous people, like entertainers and so forth. And the Communist Chinese have contributed mightily to this. They have lined the pockets of their families. They have lined the pockets of their organizations. They have pass-throughs that they use. Enormous sums of money. As Peter Schweitzer broke on my show, he and his group of intrepid investigators determined that around $31 million had been funneled into all elements of the Biden family by the communist Chinese government. Should that not be a headline, Mr. Producer? He's got footnotes, he's got it backed up, he's got the info. Should that not be a headline on every cable news show? Should that not have been a headline at the Washington Compost and the New York Slimes and the L.A. Slimes and all the rest of it? While they're focused on Trump and Trump's taxes and Trump's businesses, it's so disgusting, it's so sickening. They cover up for the Biden family, they cover up. Then he talks about the Pelosi's. Boehner's firm, Feinstein, and on and on and on. His prior book, he points out McConnell. He shows how elements of the Bush family, the Trudeau family. It's incredible. Absolutely incredible. And you've heard no news reporting on this whatsoever except by independent Alternative media sites. Other than that, you've heard nothing. This was a one-hour interview. Have you even heard any of the other shows mention the interview? Or talk about the substance of the interview? Not a word. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. James O'Keefe will be here in the third hour with more killer information that you definitely, definitely want to have. Black Lives Matter chapter, New York Post. Fumes about shot cops automatically being deemed heroes. Now, this is an organization that is defended by Media Matters. It's an organization that's defended by Mediaite. 
It's an organization that is promoted by the Democrat Party and city mayors. It's an organization supported and funded by professional sports and corporatists throughout America. Broadcast companies. And nobody says anything except the New York Post and now me. Black Lives Matter chapter of Washington, D.C., has called for the public not to automatically hail cops shot on the job as heroes before all facets of a situation are considered. In a series of tweets late Sunday, Black Lives Matter DC said the public should not jump to conclusions if the Metropolitan Police officer was wounded by a barricaded suspect late Sunday in the city's Petworth section. Let's wait till we have all the information. Isn't that what you all tell us the chapter tweeted late Sunday? Yeah, and you never do. Black Lives Matter D.C. compared Sunday's shooting to earlier fatal gunfire involving police, including incidents in 2021 and 2017, while calling on people to wait for more facts to be released in the most recent encounter. So this is Black Lives Matter. Anybody going to condemn them? Well, I'll condemn them, and I've been condemning them. Anybody else? Mm-hmm. All right, let me swing back here, but I wanted to touch on that. Just the News is an outstanding site, John Solomon's site. Now, would you think, ladies and gentlemen, and this is picking up on what Peter Schweitzer wrote about in Red Handed. Don't you think there are things we should do immediately? Immediately. To strengthen our position vis-a-vis communist China? Manufacturing, certain material, certain basics that we need, pharmaceuticals. How about computer chips? The Democrat-led House of Representatives has yes to vote on bipartisan legislation the Senate passed over seven months ago that would provide billions of dollars in aid to chip manufacturers at a time when vehicle prices continue to rise for consumers as a result of the chip shortage. Why would Pelosi and the Democrats be holding it up? Could it be they're paid off? Democratic Virginia Senator Warner, a co-sponsor of the bill, said the Biden administration and House Democrats have been focused on other issues since the bill's passage on June 8, 2021, and failed to move it forward. He emphasized that passage of the bill titled the U.S. Innovation and Competition Act would lower the average price of vehicles. Now, the Bidens are paid off. They're paid off. And as Peter Schweitzer explained, that doesn't mean they can't criticize China or give them things here and there, because the communist Chinese are sophisticated enough to understand they just need their help on the big things. Vehicle prices went up by $6,220 in 2021, according to Kelly Blue Book. Some dealers are charging market adjustment fees on certain models of vehicles due to the chip shortage and supply chain issues. Urging the House to pass the CHIPS bill, Warner said, how this relates to inflation is I think anybody who's gone out and tried to buy a used car has been probably some of the biggest inflation across the market. The Democrats in the House, now this is Pelosi, is blocking it. Blocking it. 
If the U.S. doesn't invest in the semiconductor facilities in the U.S., its share of the market could drop from about 33% to 12%, Warner said. 33% to 12%? The Democrat House? How many news organizations have picked up on this, folks? How many news organizations? None, except again, the alternative news? It's as if we're doing things to accommodate our enemies, isn't it? It is to me. To accommodate our enemies. You know this stuff about January 6th has really bothered me a lot. Not prosecuting violent actors, not that, but so much of the rest of it. Because I've never seen anything like this. And so at Post Millennial, with another great site, just another example of what's been taking place here. The headline is, Rabbi who spent five minutes inside Capitol on January 6th sentenced to confinement and probation. Last Thursday, 56-year-old Rabbi Michael Stepikoff was sentenced to two months of home confinement and 60 hours of community service as the terms of a year-long probation over his involvement in last year's Capitol riot, they write. The rabbi's legal counsel had requested that he receive a $50 fine. Instead, the defendant faces a fine of $742, with an additional $500 restitution, as well as, what I already said, 60 hours, excuse me, 60 days of home confinement, and 60 hours of community service. Judge Rudolph Contreras, an Obama appointee, rejected Stepakoff defense attorney's effort to compare a client to protesters who disrupted Senate during Kavanaugh confirmation. Yeah, they're different. They're good protesters. The judge said comparison falls flat. He stated he believed Stepakoff was smarter than he lets on. In response to defense arguments, the rabbi was oblivious to the situation. Stepikov said at his sentencing hearing, I went to Washington to witness a historic event and to let my voice be heard as part of it. This seemed like a pivotal and historical moment in our country. And whatever the outcome, I wanted to be a part of it and be able to talk about it over a live stream. If the GOP lost, so be it. There's always another election in two years and then four years. That's America. Now... He didn't do any damage whatsoever. He went in the building for five minutes and then left the building. He went in the building for five minutes and then left the building. That's it. He's a rabbi. The AP said that federal prosecutors actually wanted him to spend 14 days in prison. He's a senior rabbi at a messianic synagogue in Florida for the last 20 years. So this Obama judge punishes him and the Biden administration wanted to throw him in prison. But this is very different from the people protesting Kavanaugh, jumping up in their seats and disrupting the confirmation process of a Supreme Court justice. How is that very different? This man didn't do anything violent. How is this any different? 
Why is it different? These judges in Washington are out of control, every damn one of them, pretty much. As far as I'm concerned, at least Lamberth wanted to know what the hell was going on in that jail. None of these other judges seem to give a damn about that, do they? No, they don't. Now, speaking of the Supreme Court, speaking of judges, every now and then there is a vicious hit job done on the the Thomases, Clarence Thomas and his wife, Ginny. And often it involves the same person, a woman by the name of Jane Mayer. She wrote an entire book on this subject. She is a disgusting, disgusting hack. A disgusting hack who's been caught over and over and over again cutting corners with the truth, unencumbered with facts. And she's done it again. But the media still promote her. The media still pay her. She doesn't care. They don't care. And they only focus on Thomas because, number one, he's a constitutionalist, and number two, he's black. And you're not allowed to be a constitutionalist if you're black. You see? The media are trying to demonstrate, don't step out of line. Don't step out of line. The second black Supreme Court justice, and I would argue the smartest in modern history, regardless of race or genitalia. She writes for the New Yorker. She's on MSNBC. Any reprobate host and so forth that's pushing a narrative and projecting their own idiocy, bring her on. When we come back, I want you to hear some of what she said so I can confront it. And there have been excellent pieces in news in uh, Newsbusters, in the Federalist, and other places that have unraveled this. Right, Scoop? And I'm going to do it myself. We'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Over 2,000 of you, my listeners, made the switch from overpriced wireless carriers to Pure Talk over the past few months. We want the rest of you to join us and to see what we're talking about. If you're with AT&T and Verizon or T-Mobile, your family could save over $800 a year just by switching to Pure Talk. You get great coverage, you can keep your phone and your number, and you'll save a fortune. Pure Talk is the top-rated wireless company by Consumer Affairs with the absolute best consumer service team based right here in America. Does that sound good? Well, it gets better. Right now, get unlimited talk, text, and six gigs of data, just $30 a month. And if you go over on data, they don't charge you for it. They don't care. Go to puretalkusa.com and enter promo code Levin Podcast. Again, puretalkusa.com, promo code Levin, L-E-V-I-N Podcast. And when you do, you'll save 50% off your first month. That's puretalkusa.com, promo code Levin Podcast. Pure Talk USA, simply smarter wireless. All right, let's jump in. First, the, uh, the ugly. Cut 13, go. Your story lays out Ginny Thomas's long history of conservative activism. Talk about what you found. Well, I mean, she has been an issue for quite some time because she's such a vocal um, activist in politics. And the court is supposed to be seen as kind of above politics. In fact, her husband has made a point of saying so. Is she on the court? I'm, I guess I'm confused. 
Is she on the court? No, she's not on the court. Go ahead. Looking at was her ties to issues directly in front of the court. And there are so many of them. It is astonishing. Issues directly in front of the court. Uh, We have uh, the Speaker of the House who has many, many issues she actually controls uh, that affect the finances of her and her family. As a matter of fact, we have that throughout Congress. We even have that with Biden and his family paid off by the communist Chinese. Where's the evidence of any kind whatsoever that Clarence Thomas's thinking process, his values, his constitutional originalism are affected by anything but that? Those three elements. None. You see, unlike Pelosi and the rest, he, like the other justices, depending on the case, actually have to write their opinions for people to analyze, including smart people, including people who hate them. And he's been utterly and completely and unequivocally consistent throughout his career. Go ahead. And worrisome. So that um, I interviewed ethics experts on the law, people like Stephen Gillers, who really is probably Gillers is a hack, in my humble opinion. He's a Democrat. And who cares what he has to say? She notoriously cherry picks. You know, I picked an expert, many ethics, but Stephen Gillers. Oh, surprise, America. Go ahead foremost expert on judicial ethics who said not the foremost expert on judicial ethics how does that happen how do you become the foremost expert on judicial ethics i'll say i'm the foremost expert on judicial ethics there that's just as legitimate go ahead he is, in his words, behaving horribly, and he fears that it's undermining um, the administration of justice and the rule of law and the image oh, of the- shut up, you idiot. You fraud, phony buffoon. Cut 14, go. But just to play devil's advocate here a little bit, I mean, is it fair to tell a spouse who's been a conservative activist for most of her life that now she can't pursue that career? You know, Finally, I- this guy wakes up and asks an obvious question. Go ahead. It's interesting because there there are people who might say, well, isn't this an anti-feminist position? But of course, she can pursue not what he said. He asked you a question. Not about feminism. He said these, you know, she's been involved in these movements her entire life. You know, and that's the point. Clarence Thomas's views have been consistent throughout. And Ginny's political activity has been consistent throughout. There's no evidence that one influences the decision-making of the other. They're a compatible couple who share the same philosophical beliefs. So damn what? Go ahead. Politics, if she wants, then he needs to recuse. From cases that she's directed. Uh, so he should recuse from every case in where Ginny has an issue-oriented interest. Isn't that convenient? Isn't that convenient? So I guess Kagan should recuse herself all the time because she wants work for whom? Who was she solicitor for? Was it uh, Obama or was it... Uh, I think it was Obama. So... 
she should always recuse herself when there's a Democrat Party issue. Or whenever the Justice Department steps into the courtroom. This is how stupid, but you know, the foremost ethics expert in the country. Everybody's saying, who the hell is that? Oh, Stephen Gillers. Whoa, Stephen Gillers. Go ahead. That's the standard. Clarence Thomas can step aside and let his wife be a political activist and directly connected to January 6th. Oh, listen to her, misogynist. Clarence Thomas can step aside and let his wife be a political activist. First of all, he doesn't need to let his wife be anything. She is what she is. And she's independent. But you see, Clarence Thomas, if he would just resign, we wouldn't have any ethical issues, ladies and gentlemen. None. And the New Yorker thinks this is important as they embarrass themselves for the 5,000th time. Go ahead. Uprisings as she Ah, was. Shut up, you idiot. What a buffoon. Over at the uh, Federalist, Mark Paletta, Jane Mayer of the New Yorker magazine and her fellow leftists are ramping up attacks on Conservative Supreme Court justices, as they fear the court is getting ready to issue a host of decisions they won't like. Most especially a ruling that may overturn Roe v. Wade. I wish they would, but I doubt they will. I think their decision is going to be carefully parsed and aimed specifically at Texas and some of the other states. But I could be wrong. I hope I am. Mayor published a... I I just don't trust John Roberts and Kavanaugh and some of the others. Mayor published a pathetic hit piece, she always does, last week on Ginny Thomas. She's obsessed with the Thomases. Mayor's article titled, Ginny Thomas Crusades, Is Jimmy Thomas a Threat to the Supreme Court? Wow, what a title! What do you think, Mr. Producer? Full of falsehoods and distortions, consistent with the malicious and error-filled book she co-authored in 1994 called Strange Justice, The Selling of Clarence Thomas. Weaving together a mishmash of facts, conspiracies, and comments from dial-them-up liberal judicial experts, Mayor argues that Ginny Thomas's political activities and public comments on issues that come before the court require Thomas to recuse himself from those cases. But this isn't really about judicial ethics. He wants to construct a case where only Ginny Thomas has to stop her political activity or Justice Thomas has to recuse himself. Let's... Let's pursue this a little bit further when I return. Mark Levin, the research arm of conservative media. Call in now, 877-381-3811. Now I talk about reporters in the past covering up what Stalin did or Third Reich or Castro. You do not have to be an honest person, a person with integrity to become a reporter. As a matter of fact, these days you have to be the opposite. You need to be a nasty SOP. You really do. A partisan hack. Then you'll get a job at the New York or a Rolling Stone. Then you'll become an editor at the New York Slimes or the Washington Compost. Then you can host a show on CNN and MSNBC even though nobody will watch it. This obsession with the Thomases is really grotesque. Now you know damn well if Clarence Thomas was the biggest lib on the court like Ruth Bader Ginsburg 
they would be celebrating this company, this couple. They'd be celebrating this couple as an interracial couple, as a, as the future of of what America looks like. As isn't this fantastic? And they'd be doing stories on how, you know, uh, you know, whatever. It doesn't matter. Oh, the Today Show. Good morning, America. Who watches these shows? How do you watch these shows? Anyway, you get my point. You get my point. So let's continue here in a moment. Let me continue with the Federalist piece. The relevant law requires a judge to recuse from a case, quote, if his impartiality might reasonably be questioned, 28 U.S.C. 455A. Another provision requires a recusal. If the judge knows a family member has an interest that could be substantially affected by the outcome of the proceeding. So forth, same section. Based on the law, standards, and past precedents, Ginny Thomas's political and public policy activities have never in a single instance required Justice Thomas to recuse himself from a case. It's well, well but, but Stephen Gillers is the, is the renowned... Shut up! Well established that a spouse's separate political views or activities are no basis for such a recusal. In 2011, Judge Stephen uh, Reinhardt, boy, a left-wing icon, not of the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, properly refused to recuse from a challenge to the constitutionality of Proposition 8 regarding same-sex marriage, even though his wife was the executive director of the American Criminal Liberties Union for Southern California. What do you say about that, Jane? Jane. Jane, Mr. Producer, weren't her parents? Oh, never mind. Which had filed a brief at the district court level in this case, and despite his wife publicly expressing her views on the issue. Now, let me just recap. So his wife, head of the ACLU in, South, in Southern California, files a brief in the case that works its way up through the court at the district court level. Publicly expresses her views. And that's not a conflict of interest. My wife and I share many fundamental interests by virtue of our marriage, he said. But her views regarding issues of public significance are our own and cannot be imputed to me, no matter how prominently expresses them. It is her view, and I agree, that she has the right to perform her professional duties without regard to whatever my views may be, and that I should do the same without regards to her. Well, of course he's right. It's Perry versus Schwarzenegger, 2011, in 2011. But this case with the Thomases is even more preposterous, because they do share the views. In other words, one has had a life of her own, the other's had a life of their own, they come together in marriage, they have fundamental agreement on the fundamental issues. It's that simple. Judge Reinhardt also properly rejected the claim that his wife had an interest under Section 455B, even though the organization had filed an amicus brief in the district court for the case now on appeal before him. Before him at the time. So Judge Reinhardt demolished every argument from Jane Mayer, if that is her name, and her so-called judicial ethics expert that Ginny Thomas's activities or views require Justice Thomas to recuse. How come this woman's not banned altogether? How many, how many chances do you get, to be honest? In fact, Stephen Gillers, who Myers cites as the gold standard for judicial ethics experts, and who rips Ginny Thomas for behaving horribly and hurting the Supreme Court and the administration of justice, 
Actually, actually, that would have been Ruth Bader Ginsburg, but what do I know? Filed a brief vigorously defending Reinhardt for not recusing. You got that? So this guy, Giller, the gold standard, the gold-plated standard, if you ask me, he filed a brief in defense of Reinhardt. You know what he wrote? We are long past the day when a wife's opinions are assumed to be the same as her husband's. Ms. Ripson's opinions, she didn't even share the last name, views and public pronouncements of support for the district court decision below do not trigger any reasonable basis to question Judge Reinhardt's ability to honor his oath of office. A contrary outcome would deem a judge's spouse unable to hold any position of advocacy, creating what amounts to a marriage penalty. And, and, Mayor is all for it. And so she argues, literally, that Clarence Thomas should recuse himself in every such case or just leave the court. What kind of a numbskull is she? Giller's unprincipled and hypocritical attack on Ginny Thomas's permissible conduct and speech is despicable. By the way, Gillers, that is his name. It must be his name. Who the hell wants a name like that? Let me tell you something, pal. You want to come on this show and debate this? Let's do it. Let's do it. What the hell? Judge Reinhardt also said it's important that judges not recuse themselves unless required to do so. Or it would be too easy for those who seek judges favorable to their case to disqualify those they perceive to be unsympathetic merely by questioning their impartiality. So to succumb to mayor's argument would be to institutionalize judge shopping. As the late Justice Antonin Scalia observed, overbroad recusal standards would also encourage so-called investigative journalists to suggest improprieties and demand recusals for other inappropriate, increasingly silly reasons. So Mayor's smear piece is the embodiment of those concerns. And this piece goes on. It'll be on our website. I want to encourage you to read it. Uh, he is a partner, Mark Poletta, at Schaefer Jaffe. He was a lawyer in Bush 41 White House Counsel's Office. He worked on the confirmation of Clarence Thomas. Uh, he also served in the Trump White House as the General Counsel of the Office of Management and Budget. So he's a smart dude. Am I allowed to say dude these days, Mr. Producer? No? Well, he's not a birthing person. A non-birthing person? He's a smart non-birthing person. But Jane Mayer is a very stupid birthing person. She's, she, does, you know, she's, uh, she does these hit jobs for the left. And the New Yorker... You know, everybody used to like the New Yorker. They had a cover, you know, there's fall with a dog lifting its leg on the fire hydrant and some guy with an umbrella with a black hat. Remember those sitting on the bench? Remember that, Mr. Bidus, the cover of the New Yorker? It was like, wow, what a magazine. It's full of crap. It's full of crap. It may literally be full of crap. I think people who walk their dogs may well use it. So that's Jane Mayer. A uh, very, very important piece. The Supreme Court will do what the Supreme Court chooses to do. I'd rather see an article on Hollywood John, to be honest with you, who's turned uh, bizarre, really. I can't even understand his decisions, not because of a lack of brain power, because I can't unravel my principles as easily as John Roberts has. I knew this guy when he worked in the Reagan administration. We weren't buddies by any means. But good Lord, he hopes the pages of the New York Times, that's why I, I don't see it. I see uh, Kavanaugh as uh, 
sort of, uh, you know, the guy in the wind and, and this Barrett. Good Lord. I mean, we'll find out. You basically have a triumvirate. You can always count on Clarence. Now, always, this last decision, 8-1. to 8-1 to one involving Trump on executive privilege. As I said, it reminded me of the Independent Counsel Act. Thomas wasn't on the court, but Scalia was. That was another 8-1, to one, where he said, you're going to rue the day. This isn't right. And they did rue the day. I'll be right back. Mark Over 2,000 of you, my listeners, made the switch from overpriced wireless carriers to Pure Talk over the past few months. We want the rest of you to join us and to see what we're talking about. If you're with AT&T and Verizon or T-Mobile, your family could save over $800 a year just by switching to Pure Talk. You get great coverage, you can keep your phone and your number, and you'll save a fortune. Pure Talk is the top-rated wireless company by Consumer Affairs, with the absolute best consumer service team, based right here in America. Does that sound good? Well, it gets better. Right now, get unlimited talk, text, and 6 gigs of data, just $30 a month. And if you go over on data, they don't charge you for it. They don't care. Go to puretalkusa.com and enter promo code Levin Podcast. Again, puretalkusa.com, promo code Levin, L-E-V-I-N Podcast. And when you do, you'll save 50% off your first month. That's puretalkusa.com, promo code Levin Podcast. Pure Talk USA, simply smarter wireless. Yeah, these people are like, if you'd only be quiet and wear a mask, stay in your house, don't post on social media, don't participate in society, get on a government check, be a good citizen, everything will go just fine. We've got to defend people who come under attack like this. This is utterly outrageous. Here's the good news. Nobody reads the New Yorker. Nobody watches MSNBC. Really, nobody does. You know, I watch shows sometimes late at night, my poor wife, to help put me to sleep, you know. And I won't even put on MSNBC and CNN for those purposes. I used to leave my little Barney, you know, I lost my little Barney, as you well know. Sometimes when we'd leave the house, I'd leave the TV on. I would never, ever leave MSNBC or CNN on for two reasons. I didn't want my dog to get sick, and I wanted him to relax. Truthfully. So I put on like HGTV, something like that. Something, you know, kind of mindless, but fun, whatever. But I would never put on those other networks. You want to hear something else, Mr. Producer? When my daughter was a baby, no, I better not tell you this. I used to put on certain kinds of music, certain kind of TV shows, because I felt, before she was a baby, in the womb, I wanted to influence her thinking. What do you think about that? Did you ever do that? You did too, but I mean, I played like the uh, theme song to the movie Patton. <laughs> it's true. Hey. It's true. We have some breaking news for you New Yorkers. 
a little taste of liberty. You know, you're a fraudulent uh, governor who wasn't elected to anything except lieutenant governor. Here's Rochester, New York. A state Supreme Court judge, that's their lowest court there, I don't know why, out of Nassau County has ruled that Governor Kathy, how do you, Hochul's? Hochul, Hochul, whatever. Her mask mandate is unconstitutional. Hochul enacted the mask mandate in mid-December amid an increase in COVID-19 cases attributed to the Omicron variant. How's that working out? Judge Thomas Raidmaker, R-A-D-E-M-A-K-E-R, there's Supreme Court material, wrote in his decision that the governor does not have the authority to impose the mandate and that the state legislature would have to debate and approve laws requiring masks in schools and other places. This is pretty much what the Supreme Court said, at least part of its ruling the other day. And they're right, these judges. It's the same with the election laws. Sorry, sorry, the state legislature makes the election laws. What are you, white supremacist? What are you, uh, a denier? I can hear Chris Christie right now. Uh, Pass the potato salad. But anyway, you get the point. We're going to have James O'Keefe on next hour. A lot to talk about. Mr. Producer, do we have any regular or Americans that I can speak? Or is there an irregular American there? Just regulars? Okay, may I speak to one, please? A regular American. Gibson, Pennsylvania, XM Satellite, Sean. May I ask you? I'm from Pennsylvania. Where is Gibson? Gibson is near Milford, uh, south of uh, Binghamton, you know, or South Bend in Susquehanna, Pennsylvania. All right, got it. Go right ahead, my friend. Yeah, so I I was just wondering, you know, like, I think Ukraine declared independence in 1991. I'm just wondering why they weren't uh, invited into NATO. I mean, they gave up their nukes, and that would have uh, probably served them well in this situation now if they had some sort of defense. Um, I agree but they were never granted, and uh, oh. it's a shame because they're good. They're good people. They're mm-hmm. they're, they're good Christian people. Why does it have anything to do with us? I hear this all the time. Anything to do with us? Anything to do with us? Oh, I don't know. Maybe you ought to read a little bit of history, then you'll know. Not only that, you know, friends stick together, right? Allies, that's, that's, correct. That's the power of friendship, and and that's what people have to remember. Oh, well, that's you know. why I have as few friends as possible. Well, you know, no comment from me either. All right. All right, my friend. Take care. By the way, but I do have lifelong friends. I do. I have lifelong friends. Next caller, Mr. Producer, please. Champaign, Illinois. Joe on the Levin app. How are you, Joe? I'm doing well. How are you, Mark? All right. Thank you, sir. Yeah, this is a good follow-up from your previous caller. Um, I'm kind of uh, these days thinking Biden is more like aligned with our enemies than our allies. And um, like, I I can't really give him the benefit of the doubt with like incompetence. Like, yeah, he's the, he's the face of this administration, but I think all this stuff is deliberate. And um, Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I I think they're, you know, inching us towards some kind of conflict, whether it's, Honestly, honestly, uh, I'm no fan of this president, but I think the Russians are inching us towards a conflict, as are the communist Chinese, the uh, Islamo-Nazi 
Iranian regime and the inbred over in North Korea. I don't think this is an America first thing. I think Biden is has created a, a horrific mess here. I really do. I'll be right back. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin. Our number is 877 877-381-3811. 877-381-3811. We have with us a real journalist, in my view, James O'Keefe. He's written a book called American Muckraker, Rethinking Journalism for the 21st Century. James, how are you? Hey, Mark. Great to be with you. Thanks for having me on to talk about this book, American Muckraker. Well, the book covers a lot of territory. It's very, very important. All right. Let's start at the beginning. You say there's there's a rich and deep history of this kind of uh, investigative undercover journalism. Explain. Well, I mean, people used to do this work, whether it was Upton Sinclair with his uh, undercover techniques and his pencil and paper, Gunter Walruff, who went undercover in Europe, or uh, the Chicago Sun-Times with their bar aptly named the Mirage in Chicago, where they pretended to be bartenders and filmed all the city inspectors taking bribes. You used to have some journalism happening. 60 Minutes, you said this yourself, Mark, Mike Wallace confronting the bad guys with microphones. And then something happened over the last 20 to 30 years where you had the consolidation of tech, the decimation of newspapers. Journalists have been caught in what I call a trap between access and autonomy where they got too cozy with their sources or they became too adversarial. And these days you have mostly just opinion and aggregation. So this book, American Muckraker, talks about what it's like to be a journalist in clown world. And it explores this sort of the history of it, uh, secrecy, privacy, deception, litigation, even the suffering involved to do what we do in this age where, for example, the FBI, the New York Times, and pharmaceutical companies are acting in concert. This book kind of tells you how to do the work in this day and age. And to link your book to things that have happened to you, and you do, What do you make of the fact that the New York Times and the FBI and the Biden administration are so hell-bent on trying to destroy you? 
Well, within minutes of the raid, Mark, on my home by the by Joe Biden's FBI, within minutes of me, me being out of handcuffs by FBI agents walking away from my apartment, I got a text message from a national security reporter at the New York Times, Mike Schmidt, who somehow knew the contents of the documents I held in my hand. And these people at the New York Times have done, I don't know how many dozen hit pieces on me this year. They coordinate, cooperate with the FBI instead of investigating them. And now, thanks to Judicial Watch last week, we find out we have communications between Pfizer Pharmaceutical and the FBI about Project Veritas. So, yeah, it's, it's shocking, or shall I say it's not shocking, but the first chapter of my book, American Muckraker, is called Suffering. You might say, why did James O'Keefe write a chapter about that? Because what I've learned in my life is that it, does t- it, it is painful to go through this. But I argue in this book through interviews with my whistleblowers and my colleagues, it's less painful than the alternative. You have to follow your conscience. You have to tell the truth. You have to do your job, to quote my producer. Do your job, journalists. Ask tough questions, be skeptical, and stop representing. Stop acting as the ombudsman for the people in power. That's not how journalism ought to be, Mark. And it's really only certain people in power, isn't it? I mean, they're so out of the closet now, the the media. But let's go on with your book, because it really is a a killer book. You talk about here the uh, United States Postal Service ballot backdating election 2020, and this was one of the things that you focused on. Remind the American people what that was about. Well, we did two stories, and there's a chapter in this book, American Muckraker, called uh, Propaganda. We did a story on Richard Hopkins, who was this mailman who came to us. These whistleblowers came to us last year in the election, and he overheard his supervisor backdating a ballot. That means that that ballot was postmarked after the election, and according to this whistleblower, he said he heard his supervisor tell him to date it back a day. And he came out and signed an affidavit to this effect. We interviewed him. We broke the story. It was a big story. And then something very unusual happened. And I tell this story in this book, which sounds like science fiction. Well, that's because truth is stranger than fiction. The federal government sent a man named Russell Strasser from the inspector general's office, former FBI agent, to interrogate this this mailman whistleblower and force him to recant his statement. And thank God that Richard Hopkins had a recording device in his pocket because he recorded this interrogation where this guy said things like, I'm trying to twist your mind. Hmm. We have to harness the storm. We cannot allow your testimony to get out. Sounds like something out of 1984, Mark. Well, that's what happened to this guy, a Marine veteran, combat veteran, actually. He told me, James, he said, I would rather be out in Afghanistan getting shot at than enduring this interrogation from my own federal government. Those are his words. Very powerful testimony, Mark, in this book. You know, um, one of the things you hear is, well... This undercover stuff is dishonest. It's deceptive. Uh, and, uh, and, you, and during the interviews, you know, uh, your project, individuals from your project, represent themselves as something they may not be. How do you explain that? Is there, is there a problem with that? Yeah, that's an excellent question. Um, there's a chapter in this book called Deception, and I, I propose it's a question of relative deception. Journalists which I consider myself an American muckraker, a.k.a. journalist, is never afraid to deceive the audience. So if you're trying to tell the truth to the audience, then it becomes a question of relative deception. 
either you deceive your audience, uh, but you deprive the public of access to the truth, or you deceive the subject you're interviewing such that you can tell the truth to the audience. And if the objective is always to tell the truth to the masses, in many circumstances, a journalist has a moral obligation to go undercover, to use pretense, and the failure to do so could be morally wrong. If your goal is to be honest with people, because let me give you an example. If I go and present myself to these powerful officials and say, hey, I'm a journalist. Tell me all the fraud you're committing. What if they tell me untruths that I rebroadcast to the people? Case in point is Anthony Fauci. He goes on TV all the time, and he knows he's being interviewed, and he may not be being honest. But when I have an insider within the Defense Department or somewhere who presents me these documents, we're getting a more accurate depiction. So it's really about relative deception. Um, mm-hmm. All journalists just deceive, but they tend to deceive the masses. In fact, I would argue, I'm curious to know what you think about this, much of journalism today is deception. You know, there's many of these, these people who pretend to be straight journalists on cable TV and in these network television, certainly in the written word, post and the Times, they present themselves as professional journalists. But more and more, they're writing to each other in the pages and saying, but that doesn't mean we can't take a side, particularly if there's an existential threat like Trump and so forth. Aren't they revealing themselves openly pretty much at this point? I mean, yeah, the Jim Rutenberg of the New York Times and uh, uh, Dean Baquet in 2016 actually said in the actual New York Times, um, you ha- this is I'm quoting Jim Rutenberg here again from my book, quote, you have to throw out the textbook American journalism has been using for the better part of the last century and not cover Trump fairly, which is an extraordinary statement that the New York Times made. Uh, Dean Baquet responded, quote, I thought Jim Rutenberg nailed it, unquote. Now, because we're talking about the New York Times and how they threw the textbook out, Mark, I sued the New York Times for defamation. I got past motion to dismiss this past year. They called us deceptive. I went to court. I fought them. I won a victory in that lawsuit. Got past motion to dismiss the judge in court saying it was the New York Times that engaged in disinformation and deception. Two things they always accused me of, but they injected their opinion in the first sentence of a news article, or so they claimed, in court. And they admitted in court they got the facts wrong, but refused to correct the article. So who is going to hold these people to account? Is the New York Times above the law? They think so. They attacked the judge, Mark, after this happened. They wrote op-eds attacking me, and they assigned two national security reporters to try to uh, surveil my sources and dox my sources. So we have a crisis in American journalism, because when you have the paper of record and, and the most trusted name in news working in concert and in harmony with powerful interests to attack citizens who are trying to do the right thing, you have a problem. You have a big mm-hmm. problem, and the, and the bigger problem is the fear. The, the, the fear and the intimidation that they try to use against people like me and my colleagues. Now, it has not made me afraid. It has emboldened me. In fact, I would submit to you that most of the sources coming to us do so precisely because the feds raided me, and they understand what a threat this is. But you have to understand what it's like to go through this. And I try to tell the stories. I try to inspire people. I can't, Mark, I can't convince citizens to be courageous. I can't philosophize courage. The only way people are going to come out is if they watch other people do it. And that's, those are the stories I tell in this book, American Muckraker. We're going to uh, 
continue with James O'Keefe for most of the hour, because this is very, very important. He's important. The book's important. It's called American Muckraker, Rethinking Journalism for the 21st Century. You can get it at Amazon.com. You can pre-order. It's out tomorrow, I believe. Um, and uh, you can get it at any uh, retail uh, bookstore at some point, I'm sure, hopefully. But it's very, very well done. Very uh, much worth reading. We'll be right back. Mark in. The book is American Muckraker, Rethinking Journalism for the 21st Century. The author, you're familiar with, James O'Keefe. He's a very brave young man. Um, I want to ask you about propaganda. There was a gentleman who wrote years ago. He became the director of the, the Library of Congress. He was a professor at Chicago. And he wrote about uh, pseudo-events that they're journalists who create pseudo-events, and then they regurgitate them. And then that pseudo-event becomes a multiple of pseudo-events. And then you have the propagandists out there uh, who are pushing an agenda regardless. When I watch CNN, James O'Keefe, or MSNBC, and I don't mean watch, when I see clips and that sort of thing, how can they pass themselves off as news organizations? Because they have these massive corporate bosses and ownership of these companies that they can pretty much do whatever they want? Well, Mark, you know, you were I, I was inspired by your I don't remember when it was a year or two ago. You talked about Dan Borston's The Image, the yeah. book, and you quoted right. from it. And I bought that book after you did that on the air. And one of my favorite quotes I, after reading the book, inspired by Mark Levin, writes Dan Borston, quote, the power to make a reportable event is thus the power to make experience. Mm-hmm. Borston then adds, saying the hotel is distinguished actually makes it so. So in a similar vein, when the New York Times reports that someone is close to the Trump administration or asks whether some Trump official was involved in the operations, those insinuations echo throughout the Internet. And Borston really, I, I thought about this idea of the image because before the commercial break, I told you the story of the mailman. Mm-hmm. who was interrogated by the federal agents. Well, guess what? The, the Washington Post wrote about what happened in that room and said, according to people familiar with the matter. But he had a audio of the entire matter. Richard Hopkins recorded the whole thing, and somehow Washington Post's anonymous sources, I guess who may or may not have been there in the room, superseded incontrovertible evidence of the thing that actually occurred. And this, Mark, is what you talked about. It's what Dan Borston talked about in his book, The Image. It's about propaganda. It's, it's, it's somehow, some, somewhere along the line, this, this anonymous hearsay was able to contradict incontrovertible evidence. Now, my hypotheses in this book, American Muckraker, which is forged from my life and the lives of my whistleblowers, is that we believe that imagery, that video, can transfix in a way that propaganda cannot. And if that doesn't work, I don't know what can help prevent society's collapse. We believe, to quote George Orwell from 1984, the party rejects, the party tells you to reject the evidence of your own eyes and ears. It's their final, most essential commandment. So we want to present the evidence for you. We want to present firsthand participant observation journalism. That is to say, we present evidence. 
We don't ask you to trust us by virtue of the fact that we're credible because we tell you that we're credible. That's what CNN does. They say, trust us because you must. We say, don't trust us. Trust your own eyes and ears. And that's what makes our journalism journalism. That's what makes us different than what Borston talks about when he, when he talks about these pseudo-events. It seems to me that one of your major objectives, and it's very, very important, it's because these corporations do not do it themselves, is to, um, is to hold many of these media platforms responsible because, you know, there's supposed to be rules of professional ethics that they follow. There's supposed to be some understanding of the barriers between reporting news and activism and so forth. I'm talking about political activism. And it seems to me that what you're able to do, like your CNN series, was absolute blockbuster. Is, am I right that that is part of what you do and are going to continue to do? And that's why the New York Times, among other reasons, hates your guts? Yeah, the, yes. Um, the, the CNN tapes you're referencing, Charlie Chester talked about in this book. Um, remarkably, the control room at CNN was quoted, uh, as, and I came on your program to talk about this back in April, saying, quote, we got Trump out. We're a propaganda network. And most shockingly was the video recording of Charlie Chester, CNN's control room director, saying um, uh, things that they are proud of the fact that they got Trump out of office, that we need the death numbers higher. We, we want more people to die of COVID. And he says, fear sells. Perhaps the most important piece of journalism in the history of Project Veritas was the CNN person looking into the eyes of the undercover reporter and saying it's all about fear. And I think that's really at the heart of this book, American Muckraker. It's about the fear. I think most Americans are good people. I would even submit to you, and this will be a controversial statement to your audience, I would even say there's a lot of people at CNN that are good people. And I know, because I have sources at CNN. I know people who work there. They're not bad people. They're stuck in a bad paradigm. Jeff Zucker is, he might, be, he might be a pretty authoritarian leader, but he's not an ethical journalist. And I think there's a lot of good people in the government. And I think we have a, ch- a choice to make as Americans right now, as we, again, are on the precipice of what appears to me, at least, the uh, collapse of society because we're so divided on facts. And we shouldn't be. There's only one reality. There's only one truth. So I think we have a choice to make as Americans. We have to follow our conscience. Uh, and I write in this chapter called Suffering, I write about the choice that I had to make to follow my conscience. Um, there are moments in my life when I've thought about giving up, when the FBI raids your home and takes your stuff, Terrible. puts you in handcuffs, just because they don't like your journalism. Uh, as you know, you're a lawyer, Mark. I'm protected by a Supreme Court case, uh, Bartnicki v. Bopper, 2001. Mm-hmm. I have a right to receive documents from sources, no matter who they are and no matter what they did so long as I did not participate in any theft of any documents. And for them to do that to me and, and my colleagues and, and took a battering ram to, to, to Spencer, my colleague's door, and confiscated all of his electronics, what, what, what is – it could be worse, okay? And people have gone through worse. But when they attack our First Amendment, it is an attack on principle, not just on a person, because the First Amendment is the right that makes all of our other rights possible – without informed consent or nothing. And that attack was so egregious, Mark, that even the ACLU came to our defense. We're on with James O'Keefe. We'll be back with James O'Keefe. I got a bunch bunch more questions, James, if you don't mind. It's a fantastic book. It's called American Muckraker. 
Rethinking Journalism for the 21st Century. You can go to Amazon.com and pre-order your copy. comes out tomorrow. Any major retailer as well. I would definitely read this book. We'll be right back. The conscience of conservatism. Call Mark now at 877-381-3811. The author you're familiar with, James O'Keefe, his book you may not be, American Muckraker, Rethinking Journalism for the 21st Century. I strongly encourage you to go online, order it on American, excuse me, on Amazon.com. It'll show up tomorrow or the next day. James O'Keefe, the book is American Muckraker. James... You really are uh, the target of, of censorship campaigns, and, and that includes big tech, uh, your organization, the things you produce, and so forth. How, how do you approach this? How do you get around this? Can you get around this? Well, Mark, thank you again for, for talking about this. I mean, at the end of the book, I kind of get into this cynicism that people feel out there. Perhaps your audience feels a little hopeless. You know, nothing matters, nothing ever happens to them, et cetera, et cetera. And I, and I think, let me answer your question by saying, well, they do have tremendous power, and we're nothing. At least we think we're nothing. Um, but we're not alone. And much of the power that they have is, is the power that we give to them. Uh, let, me, let me explain. People are worried about losing their Twitter account and losing their Instagram account. Many of, many of your audience is shadow banned on Instagram. You can't tag me on Instagram. But guess what? I lost my Twitter account back in, back in a- April. And almost every story that Project Veritas has done has trended on Twitter because content is king. If the story is strong enough, it'll get out there and infuse its way into people's hands. You've got to focus on what you can control. And we have to stop worrying about what these people think about us, right? I mean, whether it's Wikipedia or how we're branded on, on, on the Internet, we have to stop you know, licking the hand that feeds us. I met Dean Baquet at the New York Times at a conference in Pittsburgh, went to shake his hand, and he, and he winced away with me and cowered away from me like a little coward, the head of the New York Times. Mm. And in that moment I describe in this book, I kind of became liberated. I became free. I no longer sought their approval so we have to stop worrying about losing our Twitter account and stop hesitating to speak the truth, and then we'll finally be free to be effective. That is a very, very important point about life, too. I mean, if you're a young person listening to this program and you're not in the in-group, no big deal. If you're not in the social circle, no big deal. You know, you lead, you lead your life, you make your friends, you'll, become, you'll make something of yourself— I mean, I can tell you here, I resigned from Twitter and Facebook. I got sick of being treated like a third grader, James, you know, where they put their little things up there. I said, well, who the hell are these people? So I said, I'm out of here. That didn't affect my book sales or my ratings on radio or TV or anything else. And I think you make a very, very important point. You're a slave to these platforms if you choose to be a slave to these platforms. It's so true. Let me ask you some more questions before we run out of time. And it's this. How do you keep such a loyal staff? <laughs> Good question. Um, I've never been asked that question quite that well. Oh, yes, because you have to be so passionate about what we do. What we do is hard. It's not sexy. People think undercover work is like Omega watches and Austin Martin vehicles and 
perhaps once in a while, but people, it has to be indefatigable. I described the characteristic in a chapter called character. I, I actually interviewed some psychologists and asked them, what makes someone a Project Veritas person? And, and it's this motto of without fear or favor. What unites my staff? You have to be incorruptible, impervious to manipulation, extremely bold yet balanced, driven, skeptical. You have to be curious, motivated, almost mercurially so. And you have to be, you have to be politically disinterested. Now, that might shock you. I'm not a very political person, and oftentimes our journalists are not really political. We, we think that, you know, as Pascal said, that power without justice leads to tyranny. So we're, we're kind of uncomfortable with politics or uncomfortable with power. We don't necessarily want the power of what we do. So it's, it's a very unique type of person that is, that is wired this way. And, you know, I don't know, out of every 500 people that apply to work here, we might hire one. And our whistleblowers, too, are, that come to us are very brave and are willing to give up their livelihoods. It's a very unique quality. Uh, I would, I would, uh, the metaphor I would use is sort of like you're a spacewalking astronaut whose uh, lifeline has been disconnected from your mothership. Very unique type of human being. You know, it's very obvious to me as I listen to you, that's why I like to do these longer interviews, that you're very intelligent, that you're very well read, that you've read philosophy, you've read some of the greats, and that you apply this to what you see going on every day. Give us a little bit of your background. Well, I, my background academically is I went to Rutgers. I majored in philosophy, but I started my own newspaper. I felt like I learned more on the job doing journalism in three months than at any, any journalism school. I did maintenance with my father and grandfather my whole life up until I was in college. So I did manual labor. But I read uh, The Gulag Archipelago by Alexander Solzhenitsyn, which really, really really touched me deeply uh, about five years ago. And I started to understand, and I write about this in this book, American Muckraker, this idea that you go in one direction, you lose your life. You go in another direction, you lose your conscience. And each of us has a choice to make. And the line that separates good and evil runs through each and every one of us. For that statement, Solzhenitsyn won the Nobel Prize. And he survived the gulags of the Soviet Union. So I don't want to live in a world where I have to live by lies. I choose not to live in that world. I choose not to be afraid. And I choose, and I live in New York State. And people say, why don't you move? Well, I'm, I'm not necessarily going to move because I reject the premise that I should move. This is the United States of America. And I think what makes us special is our First Amendment. It's first in the Bill of Rights for a reason. They're not going to intimidate me. And I've got a lot of people, a lot of people mark inside the government inside media companies you'll see a story come out a little break a little news on your program day after tomorrow a whistleblower comes out regarding children and the vaccine some things that will shock pro-vaccination people let alone anti-vax people and those are the things that give me i guess you could say hope and um, responsibility to continue no matter what there's a lot of good people out there um we just have to give them the courage to speak up you know we just have to give them the courage in this book it took me five years to write. Uh, I read everything I could on ethics, privacy, whistleblowing, some political philosophy, everything I could read about the genre that I work in, because I think people need to know how to do this, how to tell the truth in the age of the oligarchy. Mm -hmm. And you're right, in the age of the oligarchy. Oligarchy is exactly right. That's what's going on here. Now, in your book, well, let me do it this way. Do you see 
the kind of movement that you're initiating, picking up on the old, these kinds of uh, investigations and so forth, reintroducing them and so forth, do you see it spreading in the future, anytime in the near future? Um, as I said, I, I think it will spread if people are, a mentor, Andrew Breiper, once said, if you run towards the fire, you're sending a message to other people that they can do it too. I do think it's up to us, the citizens. I don't see corporate media necessarily doing it. Um, I think it has to be a citizen movement. Uh, I think the people in the corporate media will just take information from sources that are presumed credible. So I think it has to be kind of a, a citizen journalist operation. Um, investigative reporting has been axed in all news bureaus. ABC News recently axed their entire investigative division. There's no profit in it. There's no business model for investigative journalism. Mm-hmm. So you kind of have to do the right thing in terms of lawsuits. We've been sued so many times, and, Mark, we've never lost a lawsuit because we don't settle. And mm-hmm. you've got to be extremely ethical. So I don't know if it's going to spread unless the citizens make it so, Mark. You're talking about lawsuits, cost money to defend yourself, uh, also um, cost money to run an operation like your operation. I don't want names, but how, how are you able to, to do this? You have donors, people try to get the names of the donors, I, I suppose. How, how are you able to pull this off? Well, we're a nonprofit organization, but unlike NPR, we don't get money from the government. I started in my dad's garage with nothing. I did that story, if you remember, the one involving the pimp and prostitute with acorn. (laughs) I literally did that on my credit card. People thought I was crazy. And then, you know, little by little, one donor became two. And now we've got a hundred thousand donors. Some people give us a dollar. Some people give us a hundred dollars. Some people give us a thousand dollars. But the most important thing I learned in my life, this took me a decade to learn. And I learned it through the litigation process of discovery is that we don't keep secrets. The difference between us and them is they do keep secrets about what they do and how they behave. So in the litigation process, in the depositions, I had nothing to hide. They had everything to hide. So they stopped suing us. The only thing we do keep secrets, Mark, is the names of some of our informants and the names of our donors. The names of donors is a freedom of association right under the U.S. Constitution established in the NAACP case in 1958. We will fight that tooth and nail to never reveal the names of our donors. That's the right, their First Amendment rights to support causes they believe in. But the most important rule, ethical rule, about being a journalist, and I say this in a chapter called Secrecy, is you always have to behave like there's 12 jurors watching everything that you do. And if you do that, if you behave ethically, you have nothing to worry about. You will be vindicated. I am proof of that. I've never lost a lawsuit, including against the New York Times, and actions speak louder than words. I could go on with you for hours. It's really a fascinating book. Folks, I hope you'll grab your copy immediately. It's called American Muckraker, Rethinking Journalism for the 21st Century. You not only lay out what you do and how you believe journalism ought to be you know, uh, practiced and so forth, by, I get, by the time I get to the end, I feel pretty positive about about things, not about journalism generally, but there are people like you out there fighting, and really in every endeavor, there are people out there like like you fighting, and that despite the New York Times, despite big tech, despite these usual sources trying to crush you, there you are, kind of the happy warrior, 
And I really hope people will get a hold of this book, American Muckraker, Rethinking Journalism for the 21st Century. It comes out tomorrow. You can order it on Amazon now and get it tomorrow. Get it the next day. Perfect gift as well. And I uh, wish you all the best, my friend. Really good book. Thanks, Mark. I hope I can talk to you more. We could talk for hours. We will. God bless. And watch your back. Yeah. Gotta watch your back. And that's, isn't that crazy? But it really is a great book. It really is a great book. You got two couple of great books out there right now. Peter Schweitzer and James O'Keefe. Two great patriots, but two really good books. And they're going to help you, not just psychologically. Spread the word. Spread the word. These are really two great Americans, two great patriots. A great book, American Muckraker, Rethinking Journalism for the 21st Century. I'll be right back. Mark in. What a stupid son of a bitch. Unbelievable. That's the low life in the Oval Office. He's always been a low life, in my opinion. It's always lacked complete class. Because Ducey asked him about inflation if it's a political liability because he was they were told not to ask any questions about Russia, so some of the reporters asked about the economy, he asked about inflation. So he calls Peter Ducey a stupid son of a bitch. Now, Ducey is as nice as they come. He's as polite to the president as they come. But he asks really important questions that the rest of the media are not going to ask. And that's the reply. That's the response. He's not the stupid SOB. Biden is, quite frankly. Biden is. And he gets a pass for this stuff, too. Keep up the good work. We call him the Deuce here. Peter Deucey, his wonderful father and mother and family. What a stupid son of a bitch. What a stupid son of a bitch. <laughs> I don't care what office you attain, you can still be a lowlife. And that's, uh, that's Biden, as far as I'm concerned. Got that media matters? Of course, they're full of lowlifes over there. They defend Black Lives Matter, which is trashing cops which is a Marxist anti-Semitic organization, because they're all wrapped up in Soros. The media, they, they regurgitate it. Well, what did they say over there? Let's regurgitate it. I want to play that one more time, Mr. Producer. Cut 24, go. That's a great asset. More inflation. I mean, it's so disgusting. I mean, the stuff Trump had to put up with, you know what he thought, you know what he may have said in private, but he never blurted anything like that out that I can remember. The Democrats are more vile, more violent, less intelligent, and yet look how they attack Trump versus Biden. There's no comparison about the superior mind, the superior president, and the superior achievements. There's just no question. 
And now because of his actions with our military, because of his appeasement of Russia and China and these other entities, Iran, early on, now all these evil regimes are looking for opportunities to exploit under this guy. We salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, and emergency personnel, folks. Thanks for listening. Come back tomorrow. I'll be here. Have a wonderful evening.